0: Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast, a show where I speak to architects who have found success in their business, marketing, and communications, as well as consultants and experts who will share their unique tips and strategies to help you attract your ideal clients. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, Marketing Consultant for Architects, and if you'd benefit from professional advice and guidance on your marketing, you can head to vanityprojects.com to check out my coaching services and book in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss your situation this episode was sponsored by archipro archipro showcases the best and latest in the architecture and building industry and helps to connect homeowners with trusted trade professionals and products that will suit their needs for architects and designers, Arkipro helps you to create a profile for your practice in a way that best expresses your brand and your work, and then it directly connects you with a niche audience of people on their architectural build or renovation journey. Many architects rely on word of mouth referrals or search engine traffic to find new clients, but it can be difficult to attract the people you really want to design for and work with. That's why ArchiPro helps clients to match their specific architectural taste and budget with the right architectural designer for their project. You can also use the platform throughout the design and build journey with your clients by directly sharing inspiration and sourcing products for your projects as well. So if you'd like to find out more about ArchiPro, visit www.archiPro.com.au www.archiPro.com.au Joining me on the show today is Matt Barnes from Cannes, a young UK-based practice whose unique and expressive projects have seen the studio awarded the RIBA Rising Star Award in 2021 and the RIBA London Award for the Mountain View House in 2022. In this episode, we discussed the benefits of raising your profile with the industry as a springboard to working on bigger public project teams. We looked at why Matt looks outside of architecture for design and business inspiration, and how this helps him to take a differentiated approach to his social media, marketing, and photographic style. We talked about how Matt uses weekly email and Instagram outreach to grow his professional network and discover new project opportunities for the studio. We discuss the press and photography strategy Matt follows to ensure his projects are reaching the right audience of potential clients. And finally, we discuss why encouraging clients to feel safe expressing their unique personality and tastes in their project can make the architect's job of marketing the finished project so much easier. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt Barnes from Cannes. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. No worries. We always start off with a bit of an overview of your studio so that the listeners can learn a little bit more about your practice. Give us a little bit of an overview of what Can has uh, been
1: doing over the last few years. So kind of work on a range of projects. Uh, The key, I think, is just trying to get some variety. So we do, I I guess our main bread and butter work is private residential. And uh, we've also got some public art that we're doing. We've also got a office design fit out that we're doing. We're doing some new build houses, some refurbishments. On the smaller projects, we tried to collaborate with practitioners, creative Mm -hmm. practitioners outside of architecture, mainly to keep our ideas fresh, I guess, and be exposed to other design processes, right? And seeing how artists or graphic designers or set designers work, and then trying to fold that into the way we worked as well. So we've been going about. I had to set it up in 2016, but it was like a side thing for my main job. And then went full time about two, a year and a half, two
0: years ago. And so the name of the studio, Critical Architecture Network, is that network part referring to that network that you have with freelancers and graphic designers and artists and things like that?
1: Yeah. So that was the original idea. It was this kind of network outside of architecture, which we draw upon and whether that's artists said designers or other creative practitioners and then pull their expertise and knowledge, material knowledge, color knowledge, whatever it may be, into the architectural world. I think mainly because I was a bit frustrated with how architecture tends to like pigeonhole itself off as this kind of like up this ivory tower sort of thing and see it set itself as this kind of like... The elite of the design world, and it's just all rubbish to honest.
0: Yeah, and is that something that you started picking up on pretty early in your career as an architect, or is it with around the time you were starting the studio, you were really starting to get this kind of oh, the architects in the ivory tower? I'm going to do something different. I guess when did those <laughs> ideas start to
1: kind of form for you? I think it's because basically when I was uh, originally wanted to study fine art, I didn't have enough money. And so my mum said, I'm only going to give you some money to go to university if you study a vocation, which she said to fine art, no way. So I thought, what's the closest thing to fine art so far? Let's try architecture. And but then I failed my A-level so I didn't get into architecture school. So then I went to do an art and design foundation year, which is basically a a year where you get exposed to a load of different uh, practices, so illustration, animation fine art 3d design architecture and you basically do it the way it's structured is you do a week uh, or a month of each and then you choose your thing and then you do that the rest of the year and that was really great in terms of learning a lot of new skills and actually learning about all of these different industries and how and then how the, then i reapplied to architecture school and got in and then how i could weave that in so i guess that was the start but then at school schools i don't know it Three years was pretty dry. This is not what I want to be doing, but then when I did my part 2 was when I went back to university, and my tutor was Sean Griffiths of FAT alongside Kester Rattenbury, and I don't know if you know Fashion Architecture Tastes' yeah. work. Yeah, so that really, That suddenly I felt that it was like relevant to my experiences in terms of anything was reference. The fact that I worked at McDonald's for five years was as important to the architecture as anything else. So that kind of like pop culture, low culture, it was really important. And I thought that really, I felt that architecture was for me at that point. It took a long time.
0: In terms of how you incorporate this kind of network of, you know, your probably your personal network of people that you did your art stuff with. How does that actually get incorporated into the projects? And I guess specifically, you know, when does that kind of come into the conversation with a client in terms of the journey of their project? They might have the sort of expectation of, oh, this is what an architect does. They're in the ivory tower. They're in charge of everything. They make every decision. And do you find that you have to sometimes unpack and unpeel some of those expectations
1: early on, or does your potential
0: client get it?
1: I think it depends. So, so to be frank, on the private residential projects is we do less collaboration with creative practitioners. if we do, it's like, oh, we need this mural designed or we need this kitchen made in a specific way or fabricated. So on the, the private domestic stuff, that is probably the extent of the collaboration. Obviously, apart from architecture engineers and the consultants, we need to get the thing built But on the sort the creative collaboration, normally comes on like exhibition design installations, anything that is outside of the private residential work. I think it's, it's about having creative clients. So we've done a, a few pitches for the pitch for the V&A where they asked us to pitch for an exhibition design. And based on that exhibition, the theme of that exhibition, we I chose a fabric and set designer that I knew was, would be the right fit for that. And on the whole, clients are very open and quite excited by that, actually, I find. Yeah, yeah. So
0: it sits more in the sort of non-residential side. Do you see a, I guess, an opportunity over time to emphasise that network part of the name and bring that to the residential side, or I guess a bigger question is how do you see the residential work sitting in your kind of mix at the moment and over the longer term of the practice? It, it, is the goal to eventually start of move away from that to into a specific area, kind of arts and culture, or what are you thinking about at the moment for the practice?
1: I think, I mean, for me. Variety is key. And I think with anything, if you're doing too much of the same thing, yeah, cause the pro-residential stuff is great, but you're dealing with the same parameters each time and you know, that the housing stock in London, especially is not that much variety, you know, there's only so many ways you can do a side return extension for it, <laughs> in instance, as opposed to the more creative projects. Uh, there's the sort of regulation around, you know, the planning legislation and the building control legislation. So, you know, you find your concept gets watered down as the project progresses. I am from a sort of, my previous projects, practices were primary residential work. So that's my expertise in a way. And, you know, almost every architect wants to do arts and culture, but but it's a very, so competitive, (laughs) but that's what I'm trying to break break into. And hopefully we'll do some more arts and culture. So if you know any, of any galleries that need an architect by you, then me know. Oh, I love the hustle. <laughs> I put it out there on
0: the podcast. That's fantastic. So I guess like since you're in the middle of trying to make that leap and obviously do it through my podcast for one strategy that you've already explored, but like what other sort of, what sort of other opportunities have you identified or steps that you've taken towards that Arts and culture space. It is highly competitive, but is do you have yeah. a little bit of a game plan sort of bubbling in your well, mind in terms of how to get to that?
1: I think. Well, they don't, don't teach you. They don't teach. Obviously, in architecture, they don't teach you anything about how to get work or run a business or anything like that or marketing. And one thing that I've found quite incredibly well quite a lot of the creative projects got is just by like getting in touch with people that you like their work so a lot of the network as we've been calling it is not people i've studied with or anything like that it's just i've rung them up and said i like the work do you want to pitch for this project together and then you know relationships form and then they may have a lot of so for instance Lomax studio which is a studio we designed and built i got in touch with anna Lomax, who's a set designer to pitch for a project we didn't get that and then she said oh my parents are artists and they want this new art studio designed and built. So then that's how that project came about. So I think it's just about talking to people. I mean, it's, it's, it's that kind of getting over that fear that you're going to be rejected. I mean, I think I'm far more re- used to rejection than winning or being accepted. I think my hit rate's probably like 90% failure. So just <laughs> it just doesn't matter. <laughs>
0: So is your process in terms of reaching out to people and, and coming up with ideas, things that you could work on, pitch for together, does that tend to happen um, for you more when you see something that is a potential project opportunity or a new site or a competition or something that's out there, then you sort of have a think about oh, who might be a good kind of collaborator for that? Or in your day to day, you're just finding people that are cool and interesting and doing good things, and then just planting the seeds with them as you
1: go throughout the you know throughout the year. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. It used to be just for pitches. I'd say, oh, like this is pitch coming up to be great to collaborate. But these days, I find well, I'm just trying to send out a couple of emails a week, I almost, or on Instagram or wherever. And because we are, the project Mountain View, which is actually my own house, has got quite a lot of press. Uh, a lot of people have seen it, and so that's always a good way of introducing people to my work. I basically just ask them around to come round for a cup of tea, talk and we can talk about your work, and yeah, it's a good segue into meeting people in relationships because this it's, it's really quite hard unless you've got focus of the relationship moving forward. It's really quite hard to keep up the relationship without something to talk about, you know. And because you're from different worlds and you, you don't know each other that well, it's, it's quite a task. Do you think there's certain
0: types of creative disciplines that tend to pair better with architecture or architects than others? Is there anything in particular that you found has been just that seems to be like a really good, I don't know, creative blend or or and something that can actually be quite productive in terms of pitching for projects and things like that?
1: I think it really depends on the project, right? So for this V&A project I mentioned earlier, it was for the the exhibition was for menswear design, for instance. So the practitioner I chose was a, a theatre set designer, and she made and she was also a costume designer. So that like, I mean, was like perfect for yeah. that project because she knew the way fabric fell on mannequins, and she knew you know how fabric moved. And whereas that would probably not be applicable to some of the other projects but i I think sculptors have have been really great that i've worked with and i I find that like the fine art world is a a lot freer it's self-expression so you can make something it can just look beautiful it doesn't need to have some deep meaning that or justification which i feel architecture always feels the need to be like i did this because of this and this and this is meant to be here it's like doesn't matter really
0: yeah, yeah definitely it's a question i was maybe going to come to a little bit later but in terms of instagram what one thing i've noticed about kind of something you do a little bit differently with your account is that quite often you are featuring you know places you like stuff you're sort of inspired by cultural references from the from the fashion world from the music world from just this real diversity of stuff that isn't just centered around your work all the time it kind of springs to mind because, you know, talking about this kind of awareness of what's going on outside of architecture, is that something that you've, did that just come naturally to you to approach social media that way? Or was it something that you kind of had to grapple with a little bit? Because it isn't what every other architect is
1: doing, right? I think mainly because I used to, back when I was a student, I used to have a Tumblr, which I used to just read whatever they call retumble or whatever, you know, share loads of different references from pop culture uh, and the, the full range. And I think it's just, it's just so much more interesting stuff than architecture, especially on Instagram and like how with architecture, if you're sharing a picture or sharing drawing, you're not sharing the, the thing, right? So with like graphics or illustration, if you share an image, the image is the project on us, right? Obviously you have to experience architecture. You have to be in it, around it, whatever. So I find almost that the the media blends itself to more image-based practices. I think what is key is not looking just solely at architecture for references because when we we say we have pro residential clients, they always come with a Pinterest board of, other extensions that is like, I always say to them, well, this is the end product, right? I don't know who the client is, I don't know who the architect is, you're showing me then we don't really understand the design process behind it. So I say, keep your architecture pictures for later. I want you to send me pictures of the art that you like, or if you see a nice texture that you like, what colors you like, graphic or ceramics, whatever your, your visual taste is, and then I can feed that into the architecture and then it can really be a project for you rather than a project for someone else that you found on Pinterest.
0: You said earlier about your, you want to do art and your mum made you do architecture. I feel like you're doing architecture, but you know it's not this single-minded focus on architecture for its own sake, which I think is just the thing that's just underneath everything you've said over the last 20 minutes, which brings me to this question about promotion and about the media. And I think sometimes architects have these concerns or these sort of doubts about getting published and, you know, promoting your practice that y- you're just doing it for other architects or that's your target audience and it's not potential clients. And there's always this sort of thing that comes up from time to time and just be interested in, you know, on the one hand, y- you've got these interests that really lie outside of just architecture in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. but at the same time, also there, there must be some value in, in raising your profile in the industry as well. And I guess you're all yeah. feeling that and uh, I'd just be interested in getting your thoughts on where those two things sit.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think this there's, there's a you know there's different media for different clients, right? The the I think part of the thing of trying to do different projects across the sector, whether that's private residential or the complete opposite, maybe the public artwork. You've got a range of targets, right? So not so many commissions of public artwork isn't necessarily going to read the same magazine or website for a private residence for instance so i I, there's definitely value in in architectural media i probably if you asked me probably about two years ago i'd probably say fuck then but i'm not that immature anymore so i think it is I, i see the value in a lot of large projects you obviously are part of a collaborative team and obviously you need a certain level of resource and in, uh, staff to meet certain criteria, turnover. So I think raising profile in the architectural world is definitely valuable because you're more likely to be asked on teams, which allow you to do big projects, especially within the, the public sphere. And, but I think it's really also critical to think actually, uh, and Celeste, who is someone i work with quite a bit on the PR side of things, Celeste so bolt. Our conversations are basically about what. What, do I, what is this project, who is it tied to that and what do you want to achieve, who, who do you want to reach, who then what future projects do you imagine that you would get from this. On the non-residential, non-architecture side of things, ideal clients for me, people from a creative background or other creative practitioners because they have a much more interest in in the architecture and and the development of the project. So targeting where they would go for their media. So not traditional architecture things. So for instance, we've got something coming up on Beast, for instance, which all I think of is just like people who like trainers. (laughs) But I know it's a lot more than that. And yeah, just getting in that that variety of magazines, I think, and media. Yeah, that's interesting. And and you touched
0: on the the partnerships there or, or being invited to participate in projects. And I'm assuming you mean with li- maybe larger architecture practices, right? So in a, in yeah, a, it pairing up for taking on bigger projects. And that's something that seems to be happening so much in the industry now, probably more than ever, where small, really mm-hmm. awesome studios pair up with kind of larger delivery-oriented studios. I mean, is that something that you see as being a key element of getting your studio from where you're at now to getting more opportunities because of the hurdles I of think, getting into some of those bigger projects.
1: Yeah. I don't want to put too many big practices off, but oh, uh, go for it. It's like a necessary evil yep. in that the public procurement in the UK is so risk averse that the thought of using a small practice for doing anything larger than a public bench strikes the fear into the people who write the the, the insurance and the contracts. There's a lot of talk about the benefits that the small practices get from working with the large practices and then get to work on bigger projects. But also you, there's a lot of benefit to the big practices for working with these small practices who've got a lot more freedom in mm-hmm. their design expression. They've got less responsibility because the staff numbers are lower, their, their overheads are lower, so they've got more chance to test things out. And that obviously gives some energy to the large practices, the projects themselves. If you like
0: what you're hearing so far, please make sure to share this episode with colleagues you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast or Spotify app. Every review makes it easier for people to find the show and hear what my amazing guests have to say. I also love hearing your questions and I'm planning more listener Q&A episodes. So please send your questions in to questions at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer them on the show. You mentioned earlier when you're talking about other creative disciplines that you would be quite proactive, sending a couple of emails a week and reaching out to people on an ongoing basis. Is that something that you also do with other and larger practices, larger architecture practices as well? Or is it the other way around? Are you raising your profile, getting published in the media and things like that? And then there's just over time, they're naturally considering you for some of their things that they're thinking about
1: doing. It's definitely me contacting them to begin with. All right, good. I'm glad I asked. (laughs) It's interesting <laughs> <laughs> because it's, and I think Instagram helps with this. I'm quite interested in who comments on particular projects and do a bit of analysis on who and then look what, if they're an architect, what practice they work in and then go through that room. I know that they like the works and I can, it's an easier way in. So like you say, the back to the whole publishing in the architectural press, I think it's very important for that because it does raise your profile and makes you stand up against all the other small practices. So, So basically, it's similar to
0: what you're saying about having your house with the creatives coming over, you know, the graphic designer coming over to your place, check out my stuff. You've seen it online now, you can see it in person. It's building that kind of trust and credibility and all of that sort of stuff, right? And then when you're talking about with the architects, you're actually picking out the ones that have shown a little bit of, you know, there's been the... A slight tug on the fishing line there's a little bit of interest and you go oh cool there's um there's there's somebody who knows what I'm up to they know what I'm about they've seen my stuff I'm gonna I'm gonna take that opportunity and follow up with that or try and push that relationship along
1: it's just quite enjoyable meeting new people as well so I'm always up for if anyone wants to come and see the mountain view come along give me a text oh, give me a message on inst- perfect um my, my wife is a bit, bit sick of me bringing people around to be fair, but uh,
0: right. Yeah. No, there's been a few people that have come on the podcast where their breakthrough project or whatever was their own place. And it's always mm. the same story. It's like, you know, you've just got people over there all the time, checking it out, potential clients and things like that. You must yeah. have to keep the place tidy, hey? Well, yeah, i got two
1: kids as well. So it's <laughs> actually a nightmare, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah. So you brought up the PR process a little bit earlier, where you try to look at each project and really think in terms of what results do you want to get from this? What type of client are we looking for? And then that leads you towards unexpected or you know maybe counterintuitive publication choices like you mentioned, Hypebeast and stuff like that. Take me through the process of you know planning out what you're going to do with a new project just at a, just at a kind of a high level. Is it like you're picking one kind of key publication that you have in mind like your Hypebeast or are you setting up a bunch of different options that you're considering or, or just give me a bit of a window into what the sort of the steps look like for you guys?
1: And I think with, so the first project that I worked with Celeste on was the Mountain View and I'd always written my own press releases. I'd managed all of that and from a very like architecture control, idiotic way, I think. And so, you know, ov- obviously if you're working on the project for two years, one year, whatever, and especially if you're on a house, you're very like in the project and like very like, you focus on things which people don't give a fuck about basically. And so it's very good to get, it was very good to get here to do the press release, like one person removed viewing it from the outside, really focusing on actually what is unique about it or what is special and really just boiling it down to non-architect speak as well. And we always talk about what kind of photographer, I never really thought about it before and if you do an interiors project, we use an interiors photographer. If you do yeah. an architecture project, buildings, architect, and it's just uh, understanding that kind of like subtleties in that.
0: Yeah, it was interesting earlier when you explained, you know, the process or the steps where it was like, well, we're interested in creative people, other creative disciplined people, because they're interesting and there might be a little bit more freedom in working with them. So let's go to kind of design and creative culture publications like Hype Based and stuff like that. Are there other sort of examples of where you've followed kind of a thought process from a client to a pub- publication that come to mind for you? Like, for example, going for the sort of broadsheet newspapers and stuff or what, like what sort of what are some of the other connections you've made between goals and, you know, choices in
1: that process? Well, I think one thing that stood out for me on doing the Mountain View process was Celeste suggested the the modern house uh yeah, sort of like the state agent with, with, state agent is definitely underselling it, but you know, it's a, the large uh, sort of media organization, I'd say now, but I was a bit naively a bit like, okay, yeah, fine, let's go with them as well. But that the amount of traffic and hits and stuff from that was far outweighed any of the newspaper stuff or the broadsheet stuff, which I was amazed at really. And especially because the modern house is quite a particular taste. And I think they were probably stepping out of side their normal projects that they look at. And I think that was great. I think it really worked really well and it's got a lot of good results from that. Uh, and the broadsheet stuff, the, the, thing that got the most hits or the most future projects was, it was, Mountain View was named as like one of top five architecture in like the observer review of the year. And it was only like one sentence. And then I had a click through link to my website and the amount of interest I got from that was, was
0: crazy actually. so yes, that's interesting. And so now that you've been through this process with a few projects and you've explored a lot of different angles and been open-minded with different types of publications and tried a bunch of d- different stuff with new projects going forward. Is the thought process for you guys to now try to look in areas you haven't been before and to seek out new audiences, new types of people, new publications, or do you feel that going into new projects, you would be going, oh, you know, we'd be just as happy to go to the places we were already in the last couple of times because we're interested in the same audiences. Obviously, it's a project by project thing, but just, you know, in general, this idea of like... Always new and a bit and more variety versus kind of establishing some solid journalist editor relationships and then just continuing to feed them projects over time.
1: Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. So part of the reason doing some furniture stuff is because obviously architecture takes a long time or longer time. So especially when you're a small practice, there's like fallow periods in your. Sort of media stuff and does it, it looks like it just disappeared when actually you're just working on a lot of projects which haven't finished yet. Yeah. So I think it's all about keeping having these small projects which show you're still alive almost. And, yeah, you know, I think it really depends on the projects so we've got to say, for instance, it's, and it's also about realizing that not every project is going to get in the, the top magazines or the top papers and pitching it at the right level, you know, a small. Shed is not going to win the Sterling prize, I think it's probably the point. And so for instance, we've got a small extension project in Cardiff, uh, which is in Wales, which is where I'm from, shout out to Wales. And I'm keen to get some more work in Cardiff. So I'm particularly pitching it at Welsh and Cardiff based media rather than more London centric design stuff. You raised a really good point there, which
0: was those long fallow periods that a small practice can experience where you don't have anything. Because some people, they don't see that coming and then they don't prepare for that. Mm-hmm. They don't really think about that. Then they're just left with a kind of empty handed, no content, no projects. And then, as you said, you know, you go off the map for a year and a half and people forget you even exist, right? So is that something that you are building into your plans to, to make sure that you do have that mix of big and small projects? And like yeah, furniture is one I thing, think- are there other things? You
1: mentioned the small extension, but yeah, what sort of stuff are you thinking about? It's multifaceted, right? So it's marketing to a certain degree, I think it's also about the ability to test new ideas and, and that's part of the reason we do the small projects is to because there's a quick churn, right? So you can test ideas out, you can test materials, you can test spatial arrangements and then that can then feed into the larger projects which take longer and have more regulatory constraints. So I think having the small projects, even if they don't make any money, is just great to just get stuff out and i find if there's too much ideas or stuff that i haven't tested and they just clog up the design process so although it's about the marketing it's also about getting ideas out of your head i think
0: interesting as a sort of a relatively new practice or a smaller practice it can be quite a sort of frightening expense and investment and commitment when you have new projects finishing up where the fees may not have necessarily been on absolutely enormous they might have been smaller projects it can be daunting to then go okay i'm gonna go get in touch with um jim stevenson and get him to shoot the project and getting a real household name architectural photographer or any kind of photographer that is going to cost you big bucks because you're competing for their time versus you know much larger practices it can be daunting to take that risk right and to feel comfortable yeah. spending money like that but obviously well, think, you recognized
1: early on yeah just think about it there's no point wasting loads of money um on- photography and and press stuff on a project that's just not good enough or is not right for the particular reasons so i think it's just about just frankly looking at it and thinking what is worth spending here obviously there's a degree of you want to record the project just sure that you've done it maybe you can use it as a reference later but yeah i think it's really but then when you have a project which is worth photography and getting out there it's really there's no point spending a half the money on a photographer that's not right because it's just waste money down the drain right it's, so you either go all in or it's no point in doing it and mm-hmm. I think when you're in a stage of trying to grow and trying to get more projects out but it's even more critical yeah and
0: with Mountain House did you find that compared to some of the other projects that you had finished and photographed and put out the reaction and the response and then the results that came from the coverage that the project got was it sort of 1.5 times what you had done before, two times what you've done, or 10 times what you had done before in terms of the impact that a pro- that project had for the practice.
1: Yeah, it's just like crazy. I don't know. It's, it's very hard to quantify, it but yeah, it was much bigger than yeah. expected. And still now, is we got just had a just we got a shot again recently by a Italian journalist and a photographer, and so they they're, they're pitching it to other. Magazines from New Zealand this month going to be, and a magazine in the Netherlands next month. This just feels like it's going on forever. To be honest,
0: yeah, and that's an interesting thing. I I just bring up the question because I tend to notice that sometimes not every project has obviously the same impact, but it tend the ones that tend to really pop. There many times over the effect or impact that it has, and also the longevity mm, yeah. of it. The results that you get from it tend to be extremely long lasting. Where yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be working with clients where a project that they did five or six or seven years ago that got a lot of traction is still the one that new clients are saying, "We we saw this project, or we came in because of this." And then that can be a real like inflection point for your practice. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's been really great, and it's it's always the one that people reference when they talk it and you know it's, it's like I think it's, it's going to be in like s- six books there's line different books it's lined up to be in this being published this year and yeah it's, it's there's someone coming to feel there soon and yeah
0: it's just obviously it's your house i mean you love it it's your kind of you got to design your own place and you designed your perfect place to your liking and to your family's liking right so for you, it's the best project in the world. But as you were saying earlier, you've taken a very strong approach with it. You've done what you wanted to do and you know that it's a project that's not for everybody. But I've had a lot of guests on the podcast who I would describe as having work that maybe is a little bit more polarizing. And these practices certain to ha- seem to have a particular power when it comes to getting their work seen and marketing and promotion, because it is true. It's not just staying in that safe middle zone that is just similar to everything else, but it, it gets people off the fence. They're either on one side or the other. Yeah. And I think those practices tend to have a really much, much better time when it comes to you know engaging with the media, engaging with social media It's a tricky situation to delve into as a designer. You obviously don't want to say too much about that sort of thing or your rationale in in that. But I guess in this idea of like not being afraid to just, you know, take a bit of a risk with what you're doing, right? Would you describe Mm -hmm. what you do in your designers feeling free to confident or brave to take that risk or is it just you probably delivering Um, the best project possible, right? Yeah.
1: So firstly, on the getting traction from a project, you have to be a super good architect to get and the project has to be perfectly right to get press for a really muted, nice brick, nice wood, because there's a lot of people doing it and there's a, a lot of people doing it well. Whereas if you're trying something different, it's a bit easier. Everything doesn't have to be perfect in terms of the site, the existing house or the existing whatever, and the client to make something a bit special. So I think it's a different focus. And by adding in these like different references, rather than just it being solely Architecture and this was only about the brick and it's handmade by elves, North Pole. something. it's just like you need to add in some more and some more people, some more like things to make it interesting. And I think I always find weird when you meet someone and they're like super interesting, they got loads of ideas, then they're like really into the variety of stuff, and then you see their house, and it just looks like white box gallery aesthetic that's leached like leached into people's homes i've really find that that juxtaposition weird so and and whereas a lot of people would say oh well that's just like good taste <laughs> it's just like this <laughs> generic taste The architects have told them this is the way it should look so what i'm interested in is trying to represent personalities of the clients in the project or the users or public whoever that may be trying to get that essence in and i think that's really just what projects stand out because it is really they are really truly a representation of the, the person or the clients or the users or yeah
0: yeah and having the right type of client puts you in the best possible position to do that right because if you were dealing with a a client that really was scared to do anything. They were scared to let their personality out. They like felt safe in the white box, probably make your life pretty pretty tough doing what you want to do and, and how you want to like get them into their project. So, you know, mm. something you mentioned earlier in terms of trying to find that right client in the right places to reach the right client who's then going to match up with what you're trying to do is just the key to making it work, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I also think this whole idea that your house these financial investment assets because of rocket and house prices whatever money you spend on your house improving it you should get more money you should instantly be worth more money put into it which is totally weird right and when you buy a nice thing like some clothes or trainers or whatever you buy them because you want to enjoy them and, and, you, and you don't think oh this is investment. best and so because of that people like you think oh, well when i come to sell this what i the public, what do they like? And invariably this is like, you go as plain as possible because you don't know who's going to buy your house, right? And so it's just trying to have that conversation with a client. You'll spend an X amount of money because you want to improve your house because you want to, to work better for you and you want more space and try to think of it. You're spending money to enhance your life, basically. And a lot of the sort of like color and textures and finishes are only sort of like Skin deep. So I am trying to say that don't worry too much about whoever's going to buy your house in the future, they're going to repaint it. Right? Yeah. So don't worry about putting bright colors on the walls or a worktop, this unexpected material, because they're going to change the kitchen anyway. So it's that kind of just trying to get those, get that into their heads, I think. But I think primarily you are delivering from a service point of view, you're delivering a project to a client who's paying you for those service, design services, right? So that is a hundred percent what it should be designed for that's the core of the project. I think when the marketing side comes in is how you represent that project, right? So how so as we touched on earlier, how how who's the best photographer to use? What drawings are you gonna do? What is the press release? How is it worded? What what is language you're using to target different readerships?
0: I mean just a little bit in terms of that communication side of things and you putting things out there. So obviously you've got your Instagram account. That's like one pillar at the moment you've got the media that you engage with through your projects and stuff like that Does that essentially summarize your broadcasting system in terms of putting your stuff out there, or is there anything else going on in the background yeah,
1: yeah pretty much we use instagram way more than we used to use twitter quite a bit but twitter yes. just a hellhole of opinion and yeah I just don't find it very useful to be honest it's way too many opinions and they're only by people who want other people to know about their opinions so obviously there's some good stuff onto it but i don't think it it, it doesn't really fit with the way our work is to be displayed that our maximum is basically just retweeting articles but yeah whether anyone clicks on them i don't know and i think you know Typically, you get more followers on Twitter if you've got opinions and you're on something and that you're quite vocal in them. And that's why I think it could be the platform
0: for you, Matt. I feel like Twitter would be. I feel like you would settle right in as an
1: opinionated architect. What's wrong with that? Well, I did have. A, I have got. I have got a personal Twitter account which I deleted all my tweets about uh, about a year ago. I think, especially during the pandemic, I was. I got a bit obsessed with Twitter, trying to find like the one liner yeah. that would go viral, and it just never worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Instagram. I mean, that's a tricky
0: one because it seems to be that with the algorithm changing all the time and it's becoming kind of a trickier place to get a lot of free exposure as a
1: practice. Yeah. But I mean, then I think back to what was before it and there wasn't anything. So it's, I, I view it like, you know, you've got your website, which yep. is traditionally where people would go to find you on the internet. I think if that's, working well, then Instagram is kind of a bit of a bonus. It is absolutely great for for getting you work out there. And obviously, I think we've got like 8,000 followers and something, which is just really good. The hits on that compared to some of the media is just far outweighs it. So it gives you more of a voice as a younger practice. And yeah, you know, it's owned by evil people doing evil things but like I, do, I tend not to worry about that because I don't have any control over it so yeah
0: you, you mentioned something there that you the hits and the traffic and the response you're saying that it it has you know you've noticed that it's outperformed some of the media works that you've been getting as well Was that correct yeah I think well
1: I think so as far as like hits the website and stuff and obviously if you tended towards media which has a larger Instagram following Normally works because, and if you, you know, the prize of getting on their grid, it's like, if you're in a story, you don't get any extra followers, basically. If you're in a, on the grid, then you get a reasonable amount. So I think it's that kind of, yeah. Although those things important, I'm not sure how much work actually comes from it. Yeah. Interesting. The role that Instagram
0: has played for you, has that been, it's a way that you just keep in touch with an existing audience. And when you're saying you don't feel like work's come from it, but would would most of the clients that you've got coming in probably follow
1: you and probably see what you're posting on Insta? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I also think it's, I think that comes back to the whole thing of like, you know, a lot of architecture accounts, maybe on Instagram are just followed by architects and tend to be younger architects who you wouldn't be able to get work from, for instance. So I think diversifying what you're putting out there on there gets you different kinds of followers and <laughs> different kinds of clients back to the whole thing of yep. doing projects which aren't necessarily the architecture we'll get different kinds of press, feeding people back to the architecture.
0: Yeah, we've returned to it a couple of times, but just that, that variety and having that be such a big part of your strategy, it just makes so much sense, right? Just to make sure that you're not just hitting the same group of, like-minded small london-based architecture think, firms
1: exactly but i also think that this is you know, when you, you mentioned strategy yeah, then it, it did not really feel like a strategy because yeah. it's just what i've always quite liked these different things and they just it's from, it's from the tumblr days going to art college and having this awareness of all these different things going on so i got my personal like on instagram it's always a decision what do i put on there and what do i put on cat because it's this they're quite close together
0: in terms of having your personal and your brand account i mean how much does the personal sort of bleed into the brand for you like how do
1: you want to separate well them? i think it goes back to this whole thing the uh, specifically chose not to use my name as a studio because i used to work for a studio that had the name above the door and it just limits you in terms of like when you're growing clients always ask for that person when is so and so going to come and look at the project, like they are the sort of like design genius and no one else who works for the practice has got any design skills, for instance. And also then it kind of, it can be what it wants to be exclusive of me. Yeah. This figurehead thing is very much tied up in this whole ivory tower architecture, single genius art, which is just done. like, yeah, it's just, that's what I'm trying to avoid.
0: So that's for the naming and the overall sort of the DNA of the brand. You're trying to get away from that idea of the figurehead architect thing. Does that also, though, in terms of Instagram stories and whatnot, you're never posting your like lunch. you try and keep it pretty separated, a uh, bit of a separation between the work yeah. and the personal? well, because
1: I think that's just a personal thing. I always feel it feels very fake when you've got brands or trying to be funny. It's not for me. And so I'm just like, I, I'm gonna, I try to avoid that because, you know, sense of humor is uh, specific
0: to uh, the non-universe. Yeah. You feel that when it gets into that personal side, it starts to actually put you off a little bit, seeing architects doing that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Limits the the appeal, personally. Yeah. yeah. Interesting.
0: I think there's sometimes a sense that a personal brand can become a strength and it can be something that makes yeah. the practice not feel so generic, which it can do if
1: there is no sense of real personality to it. I'm not saying that a figurehead brand is not a good thing, and lots of very successful architects work that way. I just, it's just not for me. I think is what I'd say on that because studios and firms I tend to be interested in are typically not architects, and they never really have. So they might be set designers off. They might work in retail design, or like more like y stuff, and they're very rarely have their name as the brand. Something that just springs to mind when you're taking
0: reference or inspiration from business models from outside of architecture. So we've talked about you sort of looking outside of architecture at so many different levels, but it's also then interesting mm. when you're talking about it at the sort of the, almost at the business plan level and like, well, in architecture space, we do figureheads and we do the name on the door and all that sort of stuff. But in the set design world or in the retail design world, they don't do that sort of thing. They do this sort of thing. Are there any other sort of influences in the business sense from that world that you're more, that you're kind of interested in and inspired by that also apply over to how you think about your architecture practice and things where you go, I'm not going to do what the other architects do. I'm I'm more interested in doing it a certain way that I see happening out there.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that from a sort of business perspective, I'm keen to, as I said before, work at smaller scales, but also have like churn of products so so maybe it's basically looking to do designers and some furniture which is less bespoke and more mass uh production and then having those background earners because obviously with architecture projects if you've got one big project and then that gets paused or whatever for very reason then you are really in a tricky spot yes with the finances so i think having these smaller projects which Maybe like background income is where I'm going to try to go back. Awesome.
0: Matt, nah, we've basically reached the end of our time. And so thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Matt. I really appreciate it.
1: No problem. It's good. Nice talking.
0: That was my conversation with Matt Barnes from Cannes. If you'd like to learn more about Matt and the studio, you can visit can-site.co.uk Or follow Canagram, that's can underscore A-G-R-A-M, on Instagram. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.